0: Let us now read together what we confess in Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 13 and Lord's Day 14. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Why is he called God's only begotten son since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. What do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers, in the sight of God, my sin, in which I was conceived and born. After the sermon, we will sing once again from hymn 19 that beautiful hymn, as you find it in Philippians 2. And then we will sing the last three stanzas, the stanzas 4, 5, and 6. Beloved Congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Shoren Kierkegaard, who was a Danish theologian and philosopher, told a story about a certain kingdom wherein a handsome prince searched for a woman worthy enough to be his wife and to become queen of the land. One day, while running an errand for his father, he passed through a poor village. As he glanced out the window of his carriage, his eyes fell on a beautiful peasant maiden. During ensuing days, he often passed by the young lady and soon fell in love with her by sight. But he had a problem how could he seek her hand he could command her to marry him but the prince wanted someone who would marry him out of love not because he forced her to he could show up at her door at her door in his splendid uniform in a gold carriage drawn by six horses attendants in tow and bearing a chest of jewels and gold coins but then how would he know if she really loved him or if she was just overawed and overwhelmed by his splendor. Finally, he came up with another solution. He stripped off his royal clothes, put on common dress, moved into the village, and got to know her without revealing his identity. As he lived among the people, the prince and the maiden became friends, shared each other's interests, and talked about their concerns. By and by, the young lady grew to love him for who he was and because he first loved her. Why do I tell you that story? Well, that's also what Christ did. When Christ came to earth, he took off his royal clothes that he wore while he lived with his Father in heaven. He put aside all the riches that he had, and he left it all behind. He became poor like us. That is what it means that he took on human flesh. He became like us in every respect, sin excepted. As it says in that beautiful hymn of Philippians 2, which we sang, he did not consider the glory he had with his Father in heaven as something to hang on to, but he gave it all up for our sakes. Why? So that we too could become like him. The Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ, laid aside the robes of his glory, garbed himself as a peasant, became a human being, and moved into our village, into our planet, and to make us to be like him. He also wants us to share in his rule forever and ever, and to share in his riches. That's what Lord's Days 13 and 14 are all about the son of man became the son of god became an ordinary man why so that ordinary people could become children of god that's what i will preach to you about this afternoon i will preach to you about the miracle of the incarnation incarnation means becoming flesh the miracle of the incarnation first the son of god becomes an ordinary being secondly ordinary human beings become children of god when the Son of man, when the Son of God became a man, he did so not because he was compelled, but because he wanted to. He did so because of his great love for his people. He did so out of his own free will. He became like us in every respect. He knew that that would be the only way that we could be saved. That's also what it says in Hebrews 2. It says there that since we have flesh and blood he too shared in our humanity. Why? Well, as it says, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The church of God is the bride of Christ. It's also his house or his household, as it says further on in Hebrews 3. And as his bride, he wants to take us away from our poor and miserable circumstances and give us the glory that he has as king of all creation. He wants to make you and me kings and queens. And the only way that he could do that was by first becoming part of our world. There is no other way. Let's face it, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Without the Lord Jesus, we have no hope and no future. Without the Lord Jesus, we are held in the grip of Satan, who is the agent of eternal death. And because of the Son of God, we do not have to fear the same fate of those who have no hope, unbelievers, for we as believers do not have to fear death. Now our death is no longer the payment for sins, but... As the catechism also says elsewhere, it is an entrance into eternal life. There are those who see the Lord Jesus as just another human being. Modern theologians, for example. They say that Jesus was a unique human being, but not the Son of God. They say that was only a title. Actually, these theologians should not be called modern, for it is an old heresy, it was a heresy that already existed during biblical times and those heresies date therefore from the very beginning of the Christian church and those heretics were known as docetists it comes from the greek word doseo which means to seem and they taught that jesus only seemed to have a body but that he was not really incarnate that he was not really in the flesh Docetists view matter, material things, physical things. They view matter as inherently evil, and believe that God could not be associated with matter, with flesh. Therefore, and that God, being perfect and infinite, could not suffer. And therefore, God as the Word, God as the Word, could not have become flesh, as it says in John one verse one. This denial of a true incarnation meant that Jesus did not truly suffer on the cross and also that he did not rise from the dead. The confession of the disciples is quite different. Thomas, for example, said to the Lord Jesus when he appeared to him after his resurrection, My Lord and my God. When the Lord Jesus came on the scene, he did not come with all kinds of fanfare and celebrations. Messengers did not go through all the land to announce his birth. There were no celebrations in a castle to which all the important people were invited. That's what you expect with a royal birth. No, the Lord Jesus was born under very humble circumstances. Can you imagine if it would have been otherwise? Kings and emperors and their children represent worldly power and worldly splendor. And Christ did not represent worldly power, but heavenly power and heavenly splendor. Even as it was, King Herod did his best to kill the baby Jesus, for he saw him, in spite of his humble origin, as a threat to his throne. The Lord Jesus, when he came on earth, he came as an ordinary human being. He did not look any different from any of us. Oh sure, he performed many miracles, healing people and even raising some from the dead. But he was not superhuman. He was tired after a long day and he needed sleep. He had feelings and emotions just like you and me. Fear, pain, sorrow, hunger, thirst and loneliness. Whatever we experience, he experienced as well. He bore the weakness of human flesh. He came to live among us in an ordinary way. The Son of God was also the Son of Man. That's what he wanted, for it was only in that way that he could show his love. He had to strip himself of all the glory and majesty that he had and also of all his power. And that was the only way our salvation could come about. That's also what we read in Hebrews 2 verse 17 it says there for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people he became the perfect mediator between God and his people he was the perfect mediator because he was without sin. The very fact that he being a human being was without sin is in itself a great miracle. For a sinful human being gave birth to him. Oh sure, as Mary was told, the child's father would be the Holy Spirit. He would overshadow her and so her child would be the Son of God. But the miracle was also that the original sin was not attached to the Y chromosome. He would only inherit the human flesh from his mother, not the original sin associated with the flesh. In this way, his birth was truly supernatural. It is a great miracle that we cannot explain with our limited reasoning ability. But the point is that it is not that we totally understand this, but the point is that we believe it, that we accept the fact that God in this way rescued us. That in this way he rescued us from the miserable circumstances we have plunged ourselves in. Jesus, born of a virgin, is the great gift from heaven. He performed a miracle, a wonderful miracle, for our sakes. But let's not forget that that miracle came about with great cost. Not only did he have to lay aside his royal clothes and his royal power and influence and majesty, but he had to give his very life. He came to earth to die a horrible death. When he came into our village, our world, nobody wanted him. Mankind wanted him dead. As John said in chapter 1, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Everyone was hostile to him. In spite of that, he did not go back to his father in heaven. No, he remained. He loved us in spite of our sins, in spite of our hostility, in spite of our unwelcoming attitude. It is a great miracle done for our sakes. For if he hadn't done that, we could not become children of God. That brings us to the second point, namely, that we as ordinary human beings can become children of God if you want to be saved from your sins and if you want to be liberated from the fear of death then that is possible only if you are a child of God only children of God can share in the immortality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit how do you become a child of God Well, John says in verse 12 that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it is through faith that you become a child of God. You must believe what God tells you in his word. And in your life, it must also show that that is what you believe. You must show yourself to be a person of faith. What about little babies then? They don't yet believe. They don't have the ability yet to understand what it means to be a child of God or even who God is. They only have some nebulous notion. And so they cannot have true faith. At least not little babies who cannot even speak yet. And therefore there are those who wait with baptism of their children until they come to the age of understanding. Well, it is clear from the scriptures that also little children are included in the family of God. We will deal with this further when we later on, when we deal with it later on in the Catechism, with Lord's Day 27. But let me say for now that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the little children were included as part of God's covenant people and of his household. We know, for example, from passages such as, uh, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 13 that also little ones had to, gather, had to gather together in front of the Lord. It says in that passage all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. And in the prophecy of Joel we read the same thing. It says in chapter 2 verse 16 gather the people consecrate the assembly bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. And so they were included as well as God's people. And that was true in the New Testament as well, where we read on several occasions that the Lord Jesus gathered little children to himself and proclaimed them to be part of his kingdom. The Apostle Peter in Acts 2 verse 39 also preaches that the promise is to you and to your children. It is a wonderful thing to be included as part of God's family. But, as also the Catechism points out, we are not natural children of God, but we are children of God by adoption. That's also what it says in John 1 verse 13, namely that we are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have been adopted. We also know of the adoption of children. It happens in our society that children who do not have a father or mother, or have parents who are not able to look after them, that children are given up for adoption. Now, when you are adopted as a little child, then this happens without your input or your cooperation. It is the decision and action of the legal parents, of the adopting parents, and of government agencies that make this happen. You do not play a role in this yourself. Well, that's also the way it is with us as adopted children of God. We are not directly involved in this ourselves. The Lord God chooses us. We do not choose him. And he gives us everything that we need as his children. He gives us life and everything necessary to sustain that life. Does that mean then that we have nothing to do? Well, not in order to become children of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we treated our adopted children that way? If we said to the adopted child as he or she grows up that, He or she has to do something first before he can truly be accepted by us as our child. That would leave the child terribly insecure, wouldn't it? It would leave the child without security. Such a child would not feel loved. Such a child would always be wondering if he or she could ever be good enough. When he or she does something wrong, then the child will be full of despair and anxiety. It would be afraid that it would be sent away because it isn't good enough. It's also likely to happen that the child will figure out that he or she can never be good anyway, and so the child will stop trying. It will become rebellious. It's a good thing that we do not treat our adopted children that way. It would be a disaster. Well, the same thing is true with God. He first of all makes us his child. He adopts us. And he shows his great love for us. He loves us first. And he gives us everything that we could possibly need in order to show us how much he loves us. He gives us his very life for our sakes. But the Lord God also wants us to know about this. He wants us to realize what he has done. Why? so that we can also feel the incredible bond that exists between him and us. And so that knowing these things, we can show ourselves to be thankful. Isn't it wonderful to know that it doesn't depend on anything you do or on the kind of person that you are in order to be a child of God? It doesn't depend on what you look like or how much money you have or how much you do for the church. It doesn't even matter to him How many sins you have committed. Not that sin doesn't matter to him. Of course it does. But he doesn't put your sins on a way scale. You are his child. He has adopted you. And he wants you near to him. When you fall, he wants to pick you up again. When you are in the midst of despair, he wants to comfort you. When you are worried about your future, then he wants to reassure you of the future that you have with him. But he also wants you to act as a child of God. Because when you do, then you also acknowledge that you know that you are his child. Children who love their parents want to please them even though time and again they will also sin against their parents. But nevertheless, they will want to show that they love them. When you understand who God is and what he does, then faith also comes naturally. For then you see God at work. You see how he is the creator of all things and how he looks after his creation and especially how he looks after you as his child. An adoptive parent cannot say to his adopted adopted child that if they want to be included in the family, that they then must also believe that their adoptive parents love them and look after them. They can see that. And they will respond to that. For they will act as their children because of the love shown to them. In this way, faith also comes about because of God's work. God has made the house in which we live, as it says in Hebrews 3 verse 4. God makes us part of His household, and His household is also His church. And so, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, don't be like those Christians who think that they must do something in order to become a child of God. Don't think that it is because of your faith that you are a child of God and of God's family. Don't think that it depends on the strength of your faith either. For if that's what you believe, then you will come to despair. You will wonder whether or not your faith is strong enough or good enough. Faith does not come first. God Comes first. God and His love. He adopts you as His child. It's His doing. And then faith is the fruit of your adoption and of your election. Brothers and sisters, the Son of God came down to earth to become like us because He loved us first. He is no longer on earth. And that's why it is good that question and answer 36 deal with the benefits of the birth of Christ. It says there that the benefit is that now he is our mediator and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. The Son of God came to earth so that he could become like us. But he could not remain on this earth. It's a sinful world. He could not remain among us. And not only that, if he had remained here on earth, he would have become part of this world, and then we too would remain part of this world. And this world is full of sin and misery. The whole purpose to become like us was so that we could become like him and that we could go to the place where he now is. That is why he had to go to heaven. And he is there right now as our mediator. And as our mediator, do you know what he does, brothers and sisters? There he pleads our cause. He does that because we are related to him. He is our brother. And as our mediator, he points to his own flesh to show that he belongs to us. And that you and I, that we belong to him. To show that we also belong with our Father in heaven. That's why he went to heaven. Brothers and sisters, what a great love that God has shown through his Son. We may now belong to God's family without any merit of our own. It's all God's doing. And so let us lead thankful lives as children of God today and tomorrow and all the days of our lives. Amen.